God goes to great lengths to rescue lost and hurting people. That's what the story is all about. The story of the Bible, God's great love affair with humanity. Good to see everybody out here today. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, we're in the story series. It's 31 weeks long, and uh, it's, it's uh, based on the story Bible, which isn't all the Bible, but it is the Bible told chronologically, God's story told chronologically. chronologically. If you don't have one of these, we hope that you pick one up. Uh, we ask that you give $5. If you don't have $5, just pick one up, and uh, that's just fine, too. Uh, what we're doing in this is looking at the upper story of God redeeming mankind, and then we're also looking at the lower story of people's lives and how, they, how that ties into that. And what we hope to find and accomplish is that you would find your story in God's upper story. Today we're talking about wandering, and uh, it's that space in between, and we don't like that. Uh, it's the place where we are and where we want to be, that in-between moment. A big chunk of our lives can be spent wandering, hoping for, waiting for something to happen, some person to happen, some resolution to take place. And uh, I remember years ago, uh, living in a different place, uh, my neighbor told me about his story of trying to find himself at 16. Uh, he got in his VW Bug and drove to California, and when he was out there, he was trying to find himself, and after a couple years, he found himself homeless, so he got back to Virginia. Uh, people are searching for identity, searching for purpose. A lot of our young people, young adults, are searching for their sexual identity, and so there's this wandering time. There's a time where people are trying to find something very important in their life. And it can be frustrating in that in-between time. But I have good news. Aren't you glad I have good news? It's better than bad news, right? I have good news. God is at work in the wandering. God is at work in the in-between times. Now, if you don't know anything about the Bible, and you haven't read the story, and you're wondering where are we at in what we're talking about, this next illustration should help you uh, discover where we're at today in God's story. We hope. As the Israelites journeyed through the desert, they began to complain. They were tired of eating manna and wanted meat like they had when they were slaves in Egypt. Frustrated by their complaining, God gave the Israelites exactly what they wanted. A huge wind blew an enormous flock of quail right into their camp. They had so much quail, they ate it for every meal for a month. It was literally coming out of their nostrils. 
Not long after this, the Israelites continued their journey toward the Promised Land. They came to the outskirts of a city called Canaan. Moses sent spies ahead to see if the city was a good place to live and how tough the battle might be to take it over. The spies came back and told him the land was amazing, flowing with milk and honey and all kinds of fruit. But the people living there were huge, like giants, and that it would be impossible to defeat them. But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, told the Israelite leaders they should go into Canaan because God was on their side. The leaders refused, becoming so angry at Joshua and Caleb that they almost executed them because the Israelites didn't believe that God would help them. God sent them to wander in the desert for 40 years. In the desert, the Israelites were having trouble finding water and began to complain. So God told Moses to speak to a rock and water would flow from it. Moses trusted God, but only partly. He not only spoke to the rock, but struck it with his walking stick. When he did, water gushed from the rock. God wasn't happy with Moses' lack of trust and punished him by allowing him to see the promised land, but not enter it. Moses was getting pretty old and looked for someone to take over for him as leader. He chose Joshua. Just before he died, Moses stood before the entire nation of Israel and told them the story of how God had promised land to Abraham, freed them from slavery in Egypt, and had even given them commands to live by as God's special people. When he finished, Moses climbed a nearby mountain. God showed him all of the promised land, and Moses died. The Wandering. That time between the Exodus and entering the Promised Land. It was just a 240-mile trip that lasted 40 years. Talk about taking a long way home. You can walk that in two weeks. We know from Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2, it takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea on the Mount Seir Road. So after a year spent at Sinai receiving the law, they could have walked a couple weeks and been into the promised land, but because of not trusting God, because of some other problems, they end up in a period of wandering, but God is still at work. He is still at work even when we make bad choices, it brings consequences into our life, or someone else makes bad choices, brings consequences into our life, and we go through a period of waiting and wandering. And it's tough to know this, but God is still at work. The wandering allows God to discipline His people and allows His people to grow in trust. And so there's value in the in-between time. Have you ever noticed God is not a big fan of the direct route or short time periods, right? I mean, this story is classic for that. Um, God allowed Israel to spend 400 years uh, as slaves in Egypt to build a nation. And then there's this 40 years of wandering. There's a year at Mount Sinai waiting to understand and receive all the law. Before that, we talked about Abraham, and he waited decades for God to bring that promised child into his life. 
Before that, we talked about Joseph. We talked about how Joseph was uh, uh, 13 years after his brothers sold him out. And then there's Noah, 120 years waiting for rainfall as he built a boat in the desert. Like, that's just crazy. Later on in this story project, we're going to talk about David. David was the third king of Israel. He's anointed king, but he's 20 years from the time he's anointed by the prophet Samuel Samuel, to when he sits on the throne of Israel, 20 years waiting for his position to be fully realized as the king of Israel. And so here's what we have to understand. The wandering, that waiting time has purpose in our lives. Wandering, living in the space between. It's like when you're on the monkey bars and you're letting go of this rung, right, to go to the next rung, and you're kind of wondering, am I going to be able to grab a hold of that? That liminal space, that space in between. Some of you might even describe your life in this way today as you came in. You might even describe your life is in the wandering. Your graduation between the job, the the time in between. It's a time in between dating and getting married. It's a time in between divorce and maybe meeting someone new, someone to be a new mate in your life. It's a time between CAT scan and the surgery. It's a time between chemo and remission. It's a time between buried in debt and being debt free. It's a time between standing at the graveside, losing someone you love, and being reunited with them in heaven and what we call the grand, grand reunion. It's that desire for us to have rev, re, resolution. It's the desire to be in a new destination. It's the desire to achieve something that we haven't, uh, haven't had and we hope for. And I know this is true because I hear it in my own voice. I hear it in your voice. I just wish I knew how things would work out. Haven't we all felt that way about something in our lives or someone something in the lives of someone we care about and love. And so, I don't know about you, but like when I punch in the destination on my GPS of my phone where we're going somewhere, it's going to take five hours and 36 minutes to get to Knoxville. Here's what I know, that I'm going to race that GPS, right? No, it's going to take five hours and 32 minutes, right? And you check it along the way, don't you? Now, some of you are being honest right now, and some of you are lying, but we like, can I shave off, you know, if, if, if we'll, we'll just, we'll cross our legs a little bit further so we don't have to make that next rest stop and we'll get there even 10 minutes faster. We beat 12 minutes, you know, and like, like that's just how we are because we want resolution. We want to get to the de- destination. We don't like the time in between. That's just, that's just our nature. But what we have to understand that God is doing a great deal of work in the time in between these, these spaces in our lives. Now, Israel, they complained rather than pray. They were ungrateful with God's provision, and they succumbed to fear when they saw the giants in the land that they were going. And they complained, they were ungrateful, and they were afraid. Now, I know that's not who we are. We don't complain. We're not ungrateful, and we ain't scared of nothing, Right? In Numbers 14, two, uh, two, chapter 14, verse 2, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Listen to this. The whole assembly said, the whole assembly said, if we had only died in Egypt, 
they would rather have died in slavery than be given new life. And we think, how is that possible? Well, they were slaves for 400 years. They didn't even understand how to live free. Corrie ten Boom writes about her account living in the uh, death camps of Germany and surviving. And she talks about how when she gained this freedom, that it was hard for her to relearn how to live not being a prisoner. So if you're a Christian, here's what we believe. We believe that we are transferred from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. And so we go from one worldview to another worldview. We go from one way to think about life to a new way to think about life. And, and the challenge is learning how to live free. Because when we're in the kingdom of darkness, we're enslaved to something or some entity, someone. And learning to live free can be a real challenge. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen at your baptism. It doesn't happen when you say the prayer. It happens through what we call discipleship, a, a growing, a maturity. And we go through these stages where... You know, we're not comfortable with living free. And that's what happened to Israel. And they were complaining, and they were ungrateful, and they were afraid. Have you ever noticed that when you're on a road trip with your family, the complaints come from the back seat most often? Right? When are we going to... Right? All right. When will we eat? Right? I have to go to the bathroom. Somebody keeps saying eat. Someone once told me this morning the best sermon I ever heard was seven minutes long. I can't say hello in seven minutes, right? All right. So anyway, it's going to be a little while before we eat. But God cares. Look, the people in the back seat wonder if the person at the driving, driving the car understands their plight, their problem, their discomfort, right? And that's why, they, that's why they're complaining. And so when it comes to us in the spiritual journey we're on, and say God's in the driver's seat for this example, we need to give God the benefit of the doubt that He knows what He's doing, and that He can handle it, and He knows the right time to stop, the right time to eat, uh, the right time to, to do whatever. And so here's my, my point is that God knows what He's doing, and we have to learn to trust Him in the wandering. We conquer complaining through worship. Now, worship's a lot of things. It's not just singing. It's, it's how we give. It's how we serve. It's, 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 it's the scriptures. But in Exodus 15, Miriam, Moses' sister, she's the first prophetess in the Bible. She leads the whole congregation of Israel in singing this beautiful song about God delivering them from the uh, Pharaoh the, in, in the, his pursuit of his army. And you can read about this. You can read the song that they sang. And all of Israel was declaring God's deliverance and his glory. And they were all worshiping God because of what he had done. But one month later, they are complaining because they are thirsty. What we needed Miriam to do in that moment was step up and lead the congregation back in singing about God's provision and God's blessing and God's deliverance, right? That's what we needed in that moment, but it doesn't, it doesn't happen. And so they had, they had lost perspective of being delivered by God, and now they think they're going to die in the desert. 
John Ortberg says it's real important that we learn how to change our perspective in life, that we fall into this habit of seeing the world just through our own eyes and not from God's perspective. And so we have to learn how to check, change our perspective. And so you're going to help me in this little audience participation moment, right? You're going to, when on cue, right, on cue, you're going to say it could be worse, all right? So let's practice this one time. Here's the cue. All right. When you're driving to work on Monday morning, reluctantly, when you get out of the shower and walk by the mirror, when you wake up in the morning and roll over, oh, I can't believe you said that. What are you thinking? Hopefully no newlywed said that. My goodness. It's easy to think that life's unfair. It's, it's difficult to keep a perspective that God wants us to have. He's in the driver's seat. He knows we're dis- discomforted or we have a need. But in that wandering, in that in-between space, God is in control. So be very careful about complaining and grumbling with God. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 10. We jump to the New Testament for just a moment. Paul says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble. We could insert the word complaining as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. The reason we have the Old Testament is to learn from history and get a perspective on life that we don't fall into the habit of grumbling and complaining about our position in life or what we're lacking, what we think we're lacking or what we're hoping for. Uh, We support a mission here called Rwanda Challenge and we give on a monthly basis and we provide oversight and, and Frank Reynolds who established this mission to teach Rwandan pastors the Bible, um, uh, has invited several of us to go over there and co-teach with him. And my first trip over there, I discovered what Rwandans call the United States. They don't call it the United States. They don't call it America. They call it heaven. And I was getting confused a little bit because every once in a while they'd be talking about heaven and I thought they were talking about heaven And they were talking about the United States. And it just gave me a perspective, you know, like on life, on on how physically we're blessed. I'm not so sure that's always a good thing. Uh, But but anyway, on the ride home, on the flight home, which is quite long, as you can imagine, I was sitting in my second class seat. I could look down the aisle way and every once in a while I could get a glimpse into first class, Right? And there was a seat empty in first class. I knew it. I could see it. Nobody's in that seat. I could be in that seat. Not cramped up here with stinky guy on my left, right? You know, eating like little chips or whatever. And then I thought about my Rwandan brothers and sisters. I'm in a second class seat complaining on the way to heaven. Now, some of us 
could say that's true in our own lives. If you know Jesus and you're following him, you are on your way to heaven. So don't complain about a second-class seat or a third-class seat or a fourth-class seat or whatever. It might be cramped. It might be uncomfortable. It might be a long time, but God is going to bring us home, and we need to believe that no matter what's happening in our lives. So our ability to live faithfully is remembering God's Word. There will be seasons of waiting and wondering but we know that God has a solution to the crisis. God, ha- God can bring good out of bad. We know these things. So we have to worship. A complainer's perspective is this way. Everything God asks of me is too much, and everything God's done for me is not enough. Isn't that true? We could put parents, you can, you can jot this down, right? Right? And you just substitute parent for God, you know, Right? Everything my child asks of me, right? Yeah. Is, okay, anyway, so I'm meddling. But, but God, he left his glory, put on flesh and bone. We call him Jesus. He served in a humble way. He died on a cross for our deliverance. So, so what is it that God hasn't done for us that's necessary? The answer is he's done everything. That's necessary. And so in the moments where we're wandering in these seasons of our lives, sometimes we wonder, like, God, you're not doing enough. But that's a complainer's perspective. God has done enough. Above and beyond our redemption is just good. It's just like blessing. It's just like overflow. It's just chrome on the bike. It's just, you know, bells and whistles. It's just beyond that. And so have God, have faith in God and his resources and his strength that he will Deliver you through those times of wandering and cease the whining and complaining because that won't do anything to help any of us when we're going through these moments and seasons in our life. Worship. Learn to worship. And that's what we're going to do right now. So I want you to read the emboldened print as I read through this passage of Scripture. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. Let those who fear the Lord say... In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is my strength and my defense, and He has become my salvation. You could write this down and use it tomorrow when you feel discouraged or help someone else. But we, we learn to worship, so it's either through the Word or through song or through encouragement with one another or through serving others who are... I, I've noticed a great therapy for people who've gone through loss, whether it be death, divorce, addiction, recovery, whatever, is helping other people. And, and they often, often find healing in, in, in that act of worship, of serving others. And so Moses gives these final words. So the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' final word, words to Israel. And he says something that's so critically important that they had never heard before that took Moses a lifetime to learn. And here's what he said. Love the Lord God, listen to his voice, and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. The Lord is your life. He doesn't say the Lord is your helper, although he does. He doesn't say the Lord is a, is a, is, you know, a great provider. He, he says the Lord is your life. Let me help you with this. 
everybody has at least one thing they are praying for, desperately hoping for, or think is critical for their life to be full of joy and happiness. I just want you to take you a minute, take, take a moment right here, and think of that one thing, okay? One thing that you need to have, you're hoping for, or that one person that has to be in your life for you to be happy. Think of that one thing, all right? You got it? Now, imagine Jesus sitting beside you, because he is, because we pray every Sunday that Jesus comes to our church, and he does, and Jesus is sitting beside you, and you turn to him, and you say, this is what I have to have, and Jesus says, no. Jesus says, that's not going to happen. You're going to lose this. But here's what you need to understand. I'm enough. I'm enough. This is what Moses is saying. The Lord is your life. He's saying the Lord is enough when you're thirsty, when you're hungry, when you're afraid. The Lord is enough. I know this is a big question of humankind today because one of my favorite bands, U2, sang so eloquently, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, searching for, whatever it is. I've forgotten. It's been a while. So, so here's the thing. Like, you and I have to come to grips with that Jesus, the Lord, His presence, his, that relationship in our life is enough for us. If I have Jesus, everything else ultimately doesn't matter. Now, this is easy to say when life is up and to the right, but it's hard to say in a time of loss, in a time of wondering, in a time of anxiousness and angst about something in our life that's not resolved. Israel's approach to gods in Egypt was that you come and you worship these demigods and they would supply what you need. So I worship this God for, for rain, for the harvest. I worship this God for children. I worship this God for food. I worship this God for whatever. And so the gods were meeting their physical needs, they thought. And that if I worship that God, it would give me what I wanted. So when the Lord God does not deliver on what they want, they begin to abandon him and that he's not strong enough to help them. And so what God was trying to teach them is what they really needed was a relationship with him. Not all these physical things. He could easily supply that, but what they first needed to have was a relationship. So their approach to, the, to God, the Lord God, was that he was a divine vending machine. I worship him, and out comes what I want. And that was their approach. This is the problem in the United States. Really, in any of the developed world, we live in this culture where we pretty much on demand have what we want most of the time. And so we approach God that way. But the Lord, he desires a relationship with us, not a transaction. I, I have wrestled 
with this thought for many years in my own life and in looking at the life of the church that most of the time people are approaching God in a transactional way. Anytime love is a transaction, anytime love is, is contractual, it's no longer love. It's a business deal. God gives me this and I get that. Or I give God this and He gives me that. And so many people approach God this way. I go to church and God will give me what I want. Now, some of these wants and desires are not bad things. But if that's where the approach ends and that's, that, that relationship is not about love, it's not about faith, that's, that's a contract. God delivers and, and I get, right? So here's some of the ways we approach God with this transactional mindset, okay? Parents bring their kids to church because they see the importance of a child's moral development. That's a good desire. But if you're not careful, Jesus and the church simply become a life coach. The addict comes to church, Jesus, to break the bonds of addiction. But if that person's not careful, Jesus just simply becomes a higher power and not a savior. Single people come to church and Jesus looking for a soulmate. But if they're not careful, God and the church simply become Match.com or Farmers Only, right? I mean, those are good desires, having a, a, a soulmate, teaching your kids what's right or wrong, you know, breaking the bond. But, but if, you're not, if we're not careful, if we don't move into a relationship at some point, God simply is a transaction in our life and not our life, if that makes sense. Are you tracking? Are you with me? So how do you avoid this? How do you avoid this? Making God into a divine vending machine. You avoid this by pursuing a relationship only and nothing else. Like you might get, you might get well, you might not. You might find the person that you want, you might not. Your kids might make, the right, might make great choices and they might not. But if I have a relationship with Jesus, that's enough. So Jesus, he isn't just a, a part that repairs the broken stuff in your life. He is your life. And this is a real challenge to grasp. And so Moses figures this out. And he tells them. Now look, if we make God a means to an end... He must disappoint us at some point so that we can come to understand it's the relationship we need with Him, not His products. Imagine you adopt a 12-year-old child and they come from a very abusive home. They didn't have enough food to eat. They didn't have the right clothes to wear. Their parents or, or whoever was in charge of that child, basically used them as a slave, took advantage of them in all kinds of ways. And they come into your care, you adopt them, or you're a foster parent. And so this 12-year-old child comes into your world, and, and the first things that you want to do is to meet their, phys, to meet their physical needs. They, they need the right clothes, they need food, they need to know they belong here, they love that, here's their bedroom, you know, they're safe here. And that's the right thing to do. But at some point in time, if you really want to be a good parent, you have to deny them what they want so they come to love you as a parent. Or you simply become a vending machine for them. 
and they will abuse you when they don't get they when they put the quarter in and they push the button and it you can <laughs> it's been a while since I've been to vending machines right when they put the dollar fifty cents in and the object doesn't come out they start kicking the machine right they get mad they get upset and so at some point in time you have to disappoint them if you're going to be a parent. At some point in time, God has to disappoint us so that we know it's not the things that he provides that we really need, but the relationship that we need. Right? Are you, I mean, this is, this, is, this is really hard to grasp. So trust God in the wandering. Easy to say. Easy to say. Trust God that he will give you what you need when you need it, or it's simply time to come home. Trust that God will provide maybe even your hopes and your desires at the right time. And remember, God's timetable and our timetable are dramatically different. Trust that God is at work in your life in the wandering, that just because you're in that in-between space from one monkey bar to the next, that he has not given up, that he is still at work. Conquer the complaining through worship. Learn from these stories that we're talking about. And remember that God is at work. And he will give you what you need when you need it. Now, after 17 years of ministry with one family, here's what I know. There are people who are still waiting on something very important in their life. And it's not easy to talk about these things. And so what I'm asking you to do is take a step of faith and trust God in that in-between time. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to present this message. And this reading through this, talking through this, preparing this, it's a challenge for me as I know it's a challenge for others. And so, Father, what I'm asking is that you would step in in a mighty way in the way of your presence in a person's life so they could experience that you are with them even though they feel like they are lacking, that a relationship with you is enough. And, Father, we know that you are capable of much, but we may not always realize that. Father, help us, for we are weak. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.